Because you've experienced 26 years in a world where there is no trust at all. And trust is like the basic ingredient to build partnerships and, and, you know, networks. So I'd like to know, is there any story that comes to your mind where you experience like the building of a network or a cool partnership with somebody in prison? Well, in the, the 26 years that I've been in prison, I think one of the the most unique and most um, impactful partnerships that has occurred has been when the um, the, individ the individuals who were in the, um, the security housing unit, also known as the SHU, um, Short Corridor, um, created a, a hunger strike that ended up bringing the government basically to their knees and caused the government to release all of those um, men from solitary confinement. You know, like, there have been, like, a lot of, um, you know, gang and tribe, you know, so-called tribal warfare amongst all of the different factions that were represented in, in, in that area. You know, you had members of the, the Aryan Brotherhood, um, the Mexican Mafia, the Nuresta Familia, the, um, the Black Gorilla Family, and, you know, other affiliated groups and, you know, members. And all of these men had been in the security housing unit in Pelican Bay, um, um, prison, which is in Crescent City, California, these men have been up there since, you know, um, Pelican Bay opened, I believe, like in 1989 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, you know, and some of them had already been in solitary confinement even before they, they opened Pelican Bay. You know, like they kind of built Pelican Bay as a supermax prison in order to house these people that they thought were politically um, undesirable and, you know, and powerful in their own gangs and communities. And um, after they sat up in there for, you know, a couple of decades or whatever, you know, they kind of came to the realization that all of the, all of the bickering and, you know, infighting that was going on amongst them just wasn't to their mutual advantage. So, Once they got to the point where they realized that cooperation was better than, you know, than non-cooperation, they ended up, you know, putting aside their differences and working towards what was their common interest. So, you know, they organized a hunger strike. The very first hunger strike occurred on um, July 1st. Uh, I believe it was 20... 11, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I could 
could be wrong with the dates, but I remember I was actually in in um, administrative segregation at the time. I was in the hole myself and doing a shoe time too. So, you know, we're in we're in the hole, and you know, the word came down, but it came down through the the Southern Hispanics who were there. You know, in the Southern the Southern Hispanics are basically. Um, the muscle that, you know, um, works up under the Mexican mafia, for, for lack of a better term. And so there's all of these Southern Hispanics, and suddenly they're, you know, sending word around the building like, hey, 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 we're not eating, we're not eating dinner, you know. And so when they, when they said that they weren't eating dinner, you know, what well, I take that back. Excuse me. No, it was July fourth. It was the fourth of July, okay. America's birthday. It was the fourth of July. So they're saying that they're not going to eat dinner, right? And when they say that they're not going to eat dinner, you know, you could just see like, you know, the officers like, you know, really getting upset and you know, they couldn't understand why it was that some people that were like hundreds of miles away were able to exert so much influence over like a hundred men that were, you know, currently housed in that in that environment. And, you know, they were like, you know, this is, you know, like we're having strawberry shortcake and ice cream and, you know, and you guys are not going to eat it. Like, you know, oh, what type of people are you? Oh, and then when the blacks and, you know, the other groups started to, to refuse their meals too, you know, then you can start, you started to see the, the, the raw, you know, like, um, just hatred coming out of the officers for the solidarity that they were seeing in a place where solidarity, you know, usually didn't exist. They're like, okay, well, the Mexicans are not eating, you know, because they're big, because the big homie said they can't eat. But what about you guys? Are you guys going to eat? And, you know, when they came around to my cell, I was like, you know, no, I'm not eating, you know. And most of the blacks, you know, refused to eat too. And, you know, just basically everybody. So the end result was that for, you know, a few days, everybody stood together as a unified group and refused their meals. And it was like the biggest hunger strike ever, like in the history of California and maybe in the history of, you know, of, um, of correctional facilities in, in the whole United States. Well, hearing that story, but that, sorry, continue, go on. But that one, that was just the first one. And there was a second one that, you know, that worked to more effect, but that was the, that was the very beginning, you know, where they came to realize that there was power in, in nonviolence. Well, but uh, hearing that story, uh, two questions come up immediately. First, um, if you have that good example of uniting and fighting together with Gandhi methods, uh, how, why doesn't that happen more often? And secondly, as you said, uh, in an environment where there is no solidarity, how, how did this happen? You know, how, Why did this happen at this day and not other days? What were the reasons? You know, you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, it is a nonviolent form of protest. And every time that, you know, prisoners unite to protest something nonviolently in prison, the backlash from the, from the, the administration and the authorities is 
always exaggerated and overblown. Like, instead of actually just addressing the grievance, they tend to want to bring a hammer down and punish people. Like, all of the people that participated in those hunger strikes, well, the, um, the second one especially, they all were given disciplinary um, write-ups, and, you know, they lost good time credits and things like that for actually just protesting and saying, hey, these conditions are not are, are not great, you know, are not good or not right. You know, like they were punished for that. You know, they were, they were, you know, their release dates were changed and their privileges were taken and so forth and all that for standing up and saying, hey, you know, what, what you people are doing to us as far as locking us away from human contact and, and other things that solitary confinement um, does, they're, you know, you're, you're harming us. And the government just really had no compassion towards that at all. Well, that explains why why hunger strikes don't happen that often. Because if you have to face severe consequences afterwards, then you think twice. But uh, tell us a bit about the situation in prison. Anyhow, you you told me in other occasions that that's a world where nobody trusts anybody else. Yeah, you know, like the honest truth is that when you're dealing with um, prisoners, you're dealing with people of a lot of different stripes. Like, you know, for the most part, when you're at the higher levels of, of, of prison um, confinement, you know, like there's, there's maximal security and then there's, you know, like minimal security prisons and things like that. When you're in maximal security prisons, which I've spent the bulk of my time in, you know, you're around people who have a lot of um, time to do and you're in there with people who have like the most severe and more most heinous crimes, right? Mm. And so amongst that group of people where you know that people are capable of just about anything and, you know, willing to do just about anything to to meet their own ends, you know, it's hard to develop trust. Like how do you how do you trust how do you trust someone that is a, a drug, you know, um, adult fiend, somebody that, you know, is a drug user that used to steal money out of his grandmother's purse, you know, but this person is telling you, yeah, you know, I support you in every single way. Like, you're my guy, right? And it's like, yeah, I don't really believe, you know, you're in your mind, you're like, yeah, I don't really believe you because, you know, like, if you would steal from your grandmother, what makes me even, you know, any more you know, lovable or, or, you know, or honorable or whatever, and, you know. Or, and you, and know. you also told me that uh, the, 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 the officers, the institution itself tries to uh, pe keep people separate and not trusting each other, right? Definitely. And that was like the part with, you know, the whole um, um, security housing unit thing when those um, men in the short corridor came together and orchestrated the hunger strike, they had finally decided to put you know, their, their, their grievances against each other to the side. And those things had always been amplified by the mechanisms of the, um, the you know, the officers. The officers used to, because when you're in, the, in, in, in a whole environment or, you know, a security housing unit or at, at administrative um, segregation um, housing situation, you know, it's basically like 24-hour warfare. Like, if, any, if anybody comes into contact with another person of another race or another gang, like, you know, it has deadly consequences. It's automatically 
you know, fight or, you know, or die, like, on site. Like, any any opportunity you get, attack your, your enemy, right? Mm. So, you know, officers would use that, that ideology to their and mindset to their advantage by actually opening doors and allowing, you know, people to victimize people and then just claim it was an accident. Oops, I accidentally hit the door. Mm. I accidentally opened the door, you know. So, you know, like, and then the person, the people are not upset at the officers because, you know, someone was murdered. Now they're upset at their rival and they want retaliation. And so the officers might just accidentally hit another door so that they can, you know, they just keep, they keep on going at each other tip for tat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a while, you know, they came to a realization before they cooperated on the, um, the, the hunger strike, they came to an understanding that, okay, look, if we just stop attacking each other, you know, and playing it to their hands, then, you know, we've won half the battle. And so they stopped, they stopped fighting. They stopped attacking each other and so forth, you know. It was just like, hey, look, we know that if they open the door, you know, that they're going to benefit from it. So we're not going to attack each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that was the beginning of of a of, of, of people's consciousness being raised towards their 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 mutual oppressors. Because that's what all of this is about. When it comes to, you know, why would all of these these gang members and criminals who have their own um, motives and agendas come to to, cop, um, to to cooperate with each other, they understood that, hey, a lot of this warfare and violence and stuff sprang from what, you know, was basically their mutual class enemies, you know, like their own, um, the, you know, their own common foe, for lack of a better term, you know. And because the officers would, you know, want to perpetuate war and perpetuate dangerous situations so that they can always go back to their, to, to their employers and say, hey, we need more money because look at how dangerous our conditions are. You know, so their um, um, motivation or, you know, their their common goal is, you know, um, extending the life of their of their jobs, you know, cause them to always to foment dissension and, 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 and animosity amongst the prisoner class. So and once the, and once the prisoners began to understand that, hey, we're being used and manipulated the violence um, started to decrease because they would say, hey, if somebody opens my door and I'm out there, look, I'm not going to attack you, you know, and, you know, hopefully you won't attack me. So I believe that's where where the, where the mutual trust began. When, when, you know, one person may have been in a vulnerable position and, you know, able to, you know, to be attacked with impunity and, and the first person didn't attack that person, it and build, you know, um, trust capital to the point to where it's like, okay, well, you know, I could work with this guy. You know, he, he knew I was in the shower and I was, you know, I had soap in my eyes and he didn't run out of cell and attack me. So, you know, okay, now, you know, now we have, now we have some, some trust that we can build upon. Well, coming to that topic, how to build trust, how did you do that? I mean, you're in there since 26 years, so you, you must have developed some strategies how to, you know, Uh, build trust with other people on a mutual basis. 
Do you have any recommendations, any, any tips for people out here? I think that, you know, trust is, you know, just like they say in um, anywhere in the world, like, you know, um, birds of a feather flock together. Sometimes you just have to just find people with, with common goals or with common um, worldviews and things like that, right? Because, you know, when you, when you know what it is a person is motivated towards or what a person wants out of life or out of the situation, then you can pretty much kind of predict, you know, what they're willing to do and what they aren't willing to do in pursuit of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not really complicated. You just have to be observant and, you know, and watch people because, you know, people, people's motives and, 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 you know, hearts will change at the drop of a dime. Like, you know, one, it's like sort of like relationships. One day you're in love and the next day you're not, you know, <laughs> like, so you just have to be, you just have to be aware and be ready and willing to, to read, you know, the um, signs in front of you and to change course when, when and where needed, you know? Well, and uh, as you talk about this, You just founded an initiative or started an initiative with other inmates that is such like a, a mutual common task cooperative. It's called Invictus, right? And oh, you, yes. you're, you're partnering up with a few other inmates. Can you tell me about that? So um, Invictus, the Invictus Project, you know, we, we are um, a group of lifers here in Chuckawalla Valley State Prison who were um, coming together in conjunction with another organization in Germany, which is translated um, Crime Scene Future, in which we are um, attempting to use our voices in order to um, send messages to um, German youth and at-risk individuals or, or individuals around the world, possibly, who are at risk of um, criminal conduct and criminal behavior and letting them know that, hey, look, you know, our um, prison system here in California or, you know, in the United States may not be the same as it is worldwide, but, you know, we do have um, experiences that can be used to, to teach, to deter. Because, you know, like the thing is is that One of the things that's required of us in California, especially for, for lifetime prisoners, is that, you know, we um, develop insights into our crimes and empathy for our victims and, you know, just all of, just all of this work on, on changing the self and changing our, um, our um, worldview and mindset, you know, like how do we decriminalize ourselves, how do we rehabilitate and so forth and all that. And they don't give us much, um, they don't give us much help in doing these things. You know, a lot of this stuff is kind of autodidactic. You have to go about it yourself and put in the work. And they want to see you actually put in the work. They want you to come to them and say, hey, look, you know, this is what I've learned. This is what I've done. This is who I am. This is who, and, and this is who I was, you know, in the past. So, um, Invictus is about transformative learning uh, programs and, you know, they have this, we are using this, um, this model of transformative learning and this um, 
network that we have here at this prison to to move um, forward with projects which will benefit people in the community and also transform the lives of, uh, of our fellow um, inmates and prisoners. So um, that's pretty much what Invictus does or what Invictus, um, the Invictus Project's goals are. And um, we're just really starting. So, you know, the sky is the limit. Great. Donnie, that was great.